listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Uh, we looked at this passage that the Apostle Paul gives where he talks about the fact that the things that he wants to do, he finds himself unable to do, and yet he keeps doing those things that he doesn't want to do. And I'm thinking about that when I heard it. I thought, you know, if the Apostle Paul is going through this, how much more do we experience that same kind of thing ourselves, right? We have these desires to do the right thing and then find ourselves in a situation doing those things that we don't want to do that are the the wrong things. And... um, Today we're going to look at, it's our last sermon in this series, we're going to look at some practical ways to apply what we've learned about in the entire uh, series. So anybody that paid any attention at all to the news this week, you know there was this thing called Hurricane Matthew in uh, Florida, and Michael in Florida, there we go. Hey, somebody was paying attention, that's good. <laughs> so before the storm came in the uh, in the um, Hours, days before it happened, uh, the, pat, uh, the uh, governor of uh, Florida got up and spoke and uh, provided warnings to the people of Florida. These are some of the kinds of things that he said. We are already starting to see the impacts, and it's a monster. If you are in Brevard County or north and in an evacuation zone, you still have time to leave. Get out. Earlier, he had said, evacuate, evacuate, evacuate. And there were those who, you know, were making decisions about not leaving, and he was urging them to reconsider. If you're reluctant to leave, just think of all the people this storm has already killed. We're going to have a catastrophic storm, whether it's a direct impact or not. We've not had a storm like this on the East Coast for a long, long time. Uh, This storm will kill you. We don't have much time left. For some people that were choosing not to leave, he said... Uh, We shouldn't put people's lives at risk because you made the foolish decision not to evacuate. Uh, Millions will lose power, possibly for a long period of time. So that's the warning that the governor of Florida gave out before the hurricane Michael, as you guys tell me, came through. So we begin to understand how serious this is, right? I mean, this is a serious warning. And any of us that were living in Florida would have heeded that warning and been like, Yes, I need to do something. I need to get away from this. I need to go to where I'm going to be safe. And it's interesting, though, when you look at that uh, and recognize how seriously we would take that and ask ourselves, how seriously do we take the the warnings that God gives us as well uh, related to the challenges, the temptations that we face? So I want to have you turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to look at one verse there that sort of lays out for us how serious this is. 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So here in this passage, he describes our enemy as a roaring lion. This is a picture that the people that were reading, the people that Peter was writing to, would have well understood. This was the animal they most would have recognized and feared as being most dangerous to his readers. They would have had a, a deep understanding of it. And the word they says that this lion is doing is seeking to devour. And that word devour is this Greek word, katapian, which literally means to swallow or to drown. So the idea being is that we're being utterly 
overwhelmed by this attack. We are wiped out, overcome, eliminated. That should scare us in some kind of ways. But it, there's other verses that describe the same thing. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So if you didn't think the lion was scary enough, then this is the next description of this enemy, right? It's against something that's even more sinister. It's sort of hard to understand, hard to recognize, uh, not easily understood. It's dark, it's powerful, and it captures this sense of something much bigger than we are that is aligned against us and against God's church. So this sounds serious, right? A little bit like uh, the governor of Florida, except that unlike a hurricane, our threat is imminent at any time and evident at all times. So it's significant. So if it's that serious and God has given us so many warnings about it and described it in such powerful ways, what can we do about it? What's our response uh, should be to it? What should our response be to it? So I'll tell you what's not going to work. What do we tend to do? Well, I'll just try harder. I can do this. And we, we walk into situations without thinking ahead of time about how we're going to prepare in that situation. So we put ourselves in harm's way. We walk into areas that are going to be tempting to us, and we haven't thought about it. And we think, well, I can take care of this. Yes, I fell the last time I was in this situation, but, but this time I'm okay. Those are things that are not going to work. But God's given us some examples from Scripture about how it can work. We're going to look at um, just one example and then some strategies that we can use. The example is found in the life of Daniel. And Daniel is this young dude. He's probably somewhere between 17 and maybe 25 years old. And he had been taken into captivity with the other people of Judah when the Babylonians had captured Jerusalem and the surrounding area. So they're carried away into captivity, and his life was going, to be, was going to be pretty awful. They were brought into captivity to be slaves and servants of the Babylonian people. They were always going to be an underclass. Their religion, their views, their way of understanding God and so on was going to be foreign. It was going to be anathema to the people of Babylon. They were going to be looked down upon for, for what they stood for, for what they believed, for being a defeated people. They were going to be the lowest of the low in the society that they had gone to. In after he hadn't necessarily been there that long, the king of Babylon makes a decision. He says, I want to find the brightest young minds, the, um, the young men with the most potential from this people of, of Judah, and I want to bring them into a special program uh, that I have that's going to train them to be part of the ruling elite of our country. And so... Daniel was one of those people that was chosen to be brought into this program. It would not be too dissimilar to, you know, you live in the hood, you're in the barrio, and you've been given a, a, a free ticket to go to Harvard University. That was the kind of opportunity that Daniel had been given uh, at this moment in time. And, and you have to understand, like, how powerful this must have been for him. His lot in life was determined. It was not a place where anyone would desire to be and God had given, or the king had given him this opportunity to become part of the elite of their country. 
And so it's an incredible opportunity. It would have been very easy to walk into that opportunity and be like, what do I need to do? Where do I need to sign up? Because I am in on this because this is going to be a lot better than my life was. But what it tells us is that when Daniel walks into the situation, he shows up at the palace and he starts to go through his experience, he realizes there are going to be things that, are going to, that he's going to be asked to do that run counter to what God's, uh, uh, um, God's standards were for his life. And in Daniel 1.8, we see something important that Daniel decides uh, to do. It says in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And then it goes on to tell what he did. That word resolved is really key. Because that word resolved means to purpose in his heart, to establish ahead of time. It means to establish and allow your convictions and biblical principles to guide your actions. And there's two pieces to that that I just said, it, convictions and biblical principles. Biblical principles are things that come from God's word that are uh, things that we recognize that are uh, part of God's standard, God's expectation for us. Uh, some of them are written out very clearly. Some of them are principles that we apply in different kinds of situations. But it's not just principles here. It's also convictions. And what I mean by convictions, there are things that God has said to you either through his word, through the experiences that you've had in your life, where you feel a moral conviction about, that prevents you from enjoying an activity or from being able to take part in, in an activity or, or action. And I'll give you an example of this from scripture. In the Corinthian church, there was a debate about whether it was right or not for people to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. One camp of people said, no, we can't eat that meat. It's been sacrificed to idols. It's been part of this uh, ceremonial process that makes it unclean. And another set of, of, of Christians, both groups of Christians, followers of God, said, no, it is okay that we eat this meat that's been sacrificed to idols. After all, this idol's not even real anyway. And, you know, for another thing, the meat costs 20 cents less a pound. Not really. That wasn't what they said. Um, but for this other set of believers, they said it was okay to do that. And Paul, in his, in his wisdom, said, you know, here's the deal. This person feels a conviction that this is wrong for them. That's okay. And his, what Paul does is he puts the burden on the individual that feels the greater freedom in Christ and says that they cannot be a stumbling block to this other individual. So in other words, you know, don't go and, uh, you know, invite this person to dinner and feed them meat that's been sacrificed to idols. You know, don't uh, boast on social media that you're eating this meat that you got for 20 cents less a pound or whatever it is. It, Paul had this description of it that said, hey, the burden is on the individual who feels the greater freedom in Christ. So uh, when Daniel resolved, when Daniel made a decision that he was going to do the right thing, uh, this, this idea of being resolved means to be true to the convictions and biblical principles that God had given them. We're going to talk in a little bit about how we can practically apply that in situations in our own life. But I want to turn and just, just share with you God's three-step plan for how we deal with it when we face temptation, when we face these challenges in our lives, where we can have that same kind of level of resolution or a resolve. We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 11 and through 12, the first part of verse 12. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. He says there, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. 
Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. So God has a a three-part plan for how we can deal with temptation. We can deal with this challenge where we're tempted to do those things that we should not be doing. And the three-part plan starts with the word flee. That's strategy one that God has given us when we're dealing with temptation. Flee means to, to get away from, to run away. It carries with it the sense of the understanding of the level of danger that we face and our willingness to put all effort into uh, doing everything we can to get away from it. It says for you, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. The, these things that was talked about in that uh, 1 Timothy 6 passage related to the uh, sinful issues that uh, Paul had been exhorting Timothy about in the verses prior to that in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And so flee is a little bit like that strategy that was uh, presented by the governor of Florida, right? For Michael, flee, get away from this danger that you are facing in this hurricane. So our first strategy is to flee. Second strategy is to flourish. We see that in those next portions of the verse in uh, verse 11, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. And I needed to have a three-part sermon where everything started with the letter F, so that's why we're using the word flourish, okay? You know, there's got to be a reason for it. <laughs> but this whole idea of flourish is important, right? It's this whole focus on becoming more and more of who God wants us to be. And this is God's second strategy for us dealing with temptation, dealing with evil in the world around us and our temptation to be led into that area. Um. And it works in two different kinds of ways. One is that the reality is the more time we we spend becoming who God wants us to be, becoming, um, having our lives characterized by greater righteousness, greater holiness, greater gentleness, greater goodness, the the fruit of the spirit that comes out, the less time we're going to spend doing these things that we don't want to be doing. But it's more than that as well. And we see this in Romans chapter 12, verse 21. In that passage, Paul says this. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so this second part of of how uh, this flourishing aspect is a successful strategy for us is this idea that quite literally, good overcomes evil. So this works in a couple ways. Um, You know, Part of this is that as I'm focused on doing the right thing, doing those things that God wants me to do, I'm, I'm not focused on doing the things that are wrong. I actually have something, a positive focus for my life. And the second part of it is when I actually face that moment of temptation, of difficulty, of challenge, of evil that I'm confronting, when I choose to do good in that situation, it makes a difference in my own life, in the lives of people around me, and in the greater community. We can make a difference for the cause of Christ. So sometimes you wonder, why do I keep doing these things that I don't want to do? I, I've, I've set up this, this moment here where I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And what God's telling us with strategy number two is don't make that the focus. Make the focus to be doing good, to be becoming more of who he wants you to be, because then you won't be drawn into this other area within your life. So flee, flourish, and then our third strategy is to fight. So we see this, remember when we talked about that verse in Ephesians 
uh, chapter 6, where it describes the nature of this evil that we're, we're dealing with that exists within the world today. And it goes on after that and talks about the fight, the fact that we are to be wearing this armor of God. And there's really three elements to this fight that are important for you to be successful in it. One is to have the right equipment, right? For our U.S. soldiers, when they're fighting overseas, we, we give them the right equipment for them to be successful. And in our fight that we face against evil, it's the same kind of thing. We have to have the right equipment to be successful, If you're looking at that passage in Ephesians chapter 6, it goes on after it talks about evil and says, you know, put on the full armor of God. And it describes these various elements that make up the full armor of God. There's a helmet of salvation, a breastplate of righteousness, a belt of truth, and so on. These uh, pieces of equipment that are part of the armor of God and they're designed for them is that you be wearing them when you go into battle, right? Having the right equipment because you're not going to be successful in battle unless you have the right equipment. But it's not enough just to have the right equipment. You need to train to use it properly, right? So I'm going into battle. I got my helmet. I got it right next to me, right here, you know, right where I need it. I'm going to fight away with this person, and the person I'm fighting is going to be like, great, your helmet is not where it needs to be. I am going to win this battle with you, right? So it's not enough just to have the right equipment. We need to train to use it properly. And um, there's a lot of elements to this. So you, you have the right equipment. You know how to use it. And there's a couple of pieces that are particularly important in this. And we can see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. In that passage, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. And he's using something that they well understand. And it's this picture of the Olympic Games. And he says in this passage, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified." So just think about the training process that an Olympic athlete goes through, right? All the rigorous work that they put into being successful. They don't say, hey, it doesn't really matter what time I go to bed. You know, it's not a big deal. I don't need sleep. You know, they don't say, hey, it doesn't matter what I eat. I can eat Cheetos right before I run that marathon. It's going to be okay. Or, you know, they don't say when they leave on a nine-mile training run, they don't say a half mile into it, well, I'm done for today. I don't need to do any more. Right, So that Olympic athlete, if they're going to be successful, follows through on the training that they've been given and they practice this self-discipline or self-control so that they're able to do what they need to do in order to be successful. It's the same thing for us as well. In order to be successful in this fight that we find ourselves in, we need to be wearing the right equipment and we need to be trained uh, properly in terms of how to use it and have that self-discipline necessary for doing it. And then finally, the third part of being successful in that fight is to use the weapons that God has given us. So last week, Pastor Jason talked about this, right? He talked about the fact that in that passage in Ephesians chapter 6, there were only two offensive weapons listed. One is God's word, which is called the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and then the power of prayer. So those are the two offensive weapons that God's given us in order to be successful in our fight. 
So we've looked at this idea that the three strategies God gives us, flee, flourish, and fight. How do we think about applying those practically in situations that we find ourselves in? So let me just give you some examples of how this might work. And in some of these examples, you might listen to and think, hey, that's not me at all. I don't have that struggle. And and that's great that you don't have that struggle, but you do have something else that is a struggle for you. And uh, we'll talk a little bit later about how to apply it. But I just want to show you a little bit about how this works. So, you know, it's God's made it clear in his word that his design is that sexual relations be uh, limited to being only between a man and a woman in the confines of a marriage. That's God's standard. That's God's expectation for all of us. But you're in your work environment, and, you know, there's this other guy or girl, it's, or man or woman, that's attractive, right? And you maybe you flirt a little bit with this person, and uh, you, um, you know, you find opportunities for conversations with them, and then maybe this thing progresses a little bit, and you recognize that they're actually providing something for you in terms of meeting an emotional need or meeting some other kind of need for you that your spouse doesn't meet for you, and, and, and that relationship begins to grow. And, you know, you maybe didn't start with the direction this was going to be a problem, but it's become a bit of a problem. What do you do in that situation? How do you apply this three-part strategy to what you're dealing with? Well, let's think about it a little. Flee. Flee. How would I do that? I would, you know, choose not to have lunch alone with this person. I would choose to watch out for how much time I spend at the office with this individual. I would say I'm not going to go on a business trip with that person because that could put us in a very difficult position. Second part of that strategy is to flourish, to focus on doing good. Sometimes that relationship in the office has become so important to you that you neglect the fact that there's a bunch of very needy people emotionally needy, spiritually needy people in your office, and you're so focused on meeting your own need that you don't recognize these needs in others. God's design in the flourish aspect is that you begin to focus on meeting those other needs that exist within your office, uh, growing in your walk with God. And then fight. Uh, Fight in this is, again, using those weapons that God has given us, recognizing what God's word has to say. Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus says, you've heard it uh, said that Uh, adultery, you should not commit adultery. Adultery is any sexual activity outside of marriage. I tell you, if you've looked on a woman and lusted after her, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. So God says what his standard is in his word. And again, we apply that flee, flourish, flight, fight standard to that, what we're dealing with in that particular area. Maybe that's not your challenge. Maybe your challenge is, is dealing with pornography. You uh, find yourself uh, looking at inappropriate pictures. You find yourself getting sexual gratification from it. You uh, find yourself in a situation where some of these things become uh, things where you're objectifying women. And this is a huge issue in our culture today, huge issue. A recent study that I uh, read said that 70% of pastors even have said that this has been a problem some point in their life. So this is a significant issue. How do we do those same kinds of things? What does flee mean? Flee in this situation might mean to set boundaries on when and where I use my computer and smartphone. So I'm not in a position where I'm tempted to go in a direction that's bad. It might mean that I'm using software that limits what my searches will res- what search results that I'll get, uh, where I'll have uh, a filter on the uh, 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 search what my search uh, engines will will give us results. 
Uh, maybe not putting yourself in a position where you're led astray by this kind of thing. For some people, it might mean not going to the beach or not going to a nightclub. Again, like how do we apply the fight in this situation? Again, it's, it's being clear about what God's word has to say about this and his desire for each of us. Being in prayer for yourself in your purity uh, being willing to practice self-discipline in your life. Praying that God would end the scour- scourge of porn in our culture today. Maybe that's not your issue. Maybe what you deal with is more of a, a, a sense of anger. Tough stuff has happened in, in, in your family and there's these weird dynamics. And every time you get together with your family, it just, there's these, the family members that put you down and, and, uh, and say things to sort of egg you on or, or to try to get you to react in some kind of a way. And your family's sort of messed up and there's all these situations that have happened in the past that, that result in you having a lot of this anger that comes up when you have family gatherings. So how do you think about applying those things in this situation? Flee. There may be some family gatherings you choose not to attend so that you're not in contact with some of these negative elements within your family. It may be that when you're at a family gathering like that, you completely avoid alcohol because, hey, whenever I have a drink, I say things I don't want to say, and that really leads to being a problem. Or... um, Maybe, uh, you know, there's an aspect to it where you make choices to be not in the situation where that's going to happen. And then flourish. Flourish in the situation. Maybe you go and you seek counseling help. So you come, that counselor's role is to help you come up with strategies that when you feel like that, how do you deal with it? That maybe you work at doing good with your family. Maybe you recognize that when our family gets together, there's a lot of gossip and there's a lot of negativity. And what if when we got together as a family, we chose to do something good together where we served others rather than sort of dwelling in this negativity that's there? Or fight. Think about what scripture says. It says, pray for those who spitefully use you. It says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. So you claim these verses because these verses help you deal with that situation that you find yourself in. And then maybe maybe it's not anger, maybe it's language. So you've become a Christian and a lot of these sins that you had in the past you were able to leave behind, but you find yourself with a tongue that is difficult to tame. You find yourself cursing and you don't really want to curse. You find yourself engaging in like coarse joking uh, you find yourself where you're making jokes that use a lot of sexual innuendo and you have this sense of, hey, this is not right, uh, but you keep falling into that same kind of a struggle. How do you deal with that? And again, how do we apply those three parts to it? Flee. Perhaps you recognize that there's a certain set of friends that when I hang with them, my language tends to get really bad. You might have people in your life that you need to cut out because being with them brings out this part of me that needs to change. Or you may have to watch out for the music you listen to or the movies that you watch because they bring out that language in you as well. How do we think about flourish? Focus on how we can use our tongue for good. Praising God, encouraging others, speaking the truth in love. These are all things that you can do that would allow you to focus on the good rather than fighting the bad. And then fight. So Again, using scripture, God has made it clear in the book of James that he has, uh, that our, our tongue is hard to control. 
And uh, so he gives us a process in there. We need his help. We need to apply scripture like that in order to be successful in this battle. I'm going to ask, you know, those four things may not have applied to you, but I'm going to ask our ushers have a little handout. This is just between you and the Lord, but it's an opportunity to take that same three-part strategy of flee, flourish, and fight and apply them in some area of your life that's a struggle for you. And Pastor Jason's taken and written some verses on the back that may relate to the challenge you're dealing with. I will tell you, though, like whatever your challenge is, you can Google it and say, hey, what are some scripture verses that relate to whatever the topic is? And uh, think about how you can apply it. And what we're going to do is going to give you just a few minutes, maybe about five minutes right now, to just... Just prayerfully alone to yourself. This is not something you'll ever share with anybody. You do not need to stick it in the offering plate later or anything like that. So you don't need to do. And I'm going to have a song playing actually from a, a CD from our church in or our choir from our church in New York City. Partly because this song has a great message to it. It says um, that victory is mine. And the whole idea when we do the, when we enter battle... Uh, we're in the battle trying to do what is right. God has given us the victory and f- given us a way out of those temptations that we face. So, uh, James, if you can cue up that music while everyone's given a moment to complete this.
times. It's good. Um, so I just want to say as we close this today, just go back to how we started this. Think about how seriously we take that warning about the hurricane that I can't remember the name of in Florida. We think about how seriously we take the warnings in that situation, and yet God has given us a warning that's just as great as we face evil here, and he's given us this three-part strategy, flee, flourish, and fight that we can use to apply. So when I say, like, take the time to think about those things that you, that you de- are dealing with uh, on that form today, and then applying them in so many of the other areas that you also struggle with in your life, take it seriously. Take the time to plan ahead so that when you find yourself in that situation, you're ready to be like Daniel and be resolved. So if I could have the ushers come forward, we'll close in a word of prayer. God, my hope for every person here is that they would be like Daniel. They would be resolved. They would be set in their mind, had purpose in their heart about what they're going to do when they face these attacks that we know will come. And Lord, we're just grateful to you that in your word, you've given us a strategy for dealing with it, of fleeing, of flourishing, of fighting, Lord. I just would ask that you'd help us to be able to apply that in these areas of challenge within our lives. And Lord, as our ushers take the offering now, Lord, our desire in what we give is that your will and your work would be uh, furthered here in Redlands, in this church, in the Redlands area, and around the world through these gifts, Lord. I just would ask that you'd bless the givers today. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.